the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm glad you joined me. Now, last week, we were talking about relationship rules. Who needs them? And so this is the second part of that particular show. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's show, you can go on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and there's the podcast there that you are, um, it, that's available to you if you want to listen to the first half of the show. So I'm glad you joined me today, and, and I always like to start the show with a foundational reference verse. And this is in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 41. This is the New International Version, and then we're going to also read it in the Message Bible. And so this says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, the reason that I'm going to read you the Message Bible is because it really shows the heart of these people that were testing Jesus. Because that's what we're we're going to look more at when it comes to rules. When rules are applied inappropriately when they are done with um, intent that is for personal gain, for competition, for power, for control. And so listen to this in the Message Bible. It says, When the Pharisees heard how Jesus had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. I mean, think of, listen to the heart of these people. This is not the reason that God created rules and commandments. And we're going to talk about why God actually create, created rules and commandments. So let me read that again. He says, when the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs on them. 
Love others as well as you love yourself. And you know, we have done many shows about the importance of how you love yourself, how you care for yourself. And if you don't love and care for yourself well, you're not going to do that very well with other people. And how important it is that God says to us, he wants us to care about who he cares about. So if God cares about me, he wants me to care about me as well, not just other people. So I'm included in the caring about who he cares about. So what do you think about when you think about rules? And we talked last week about how those rules play out in your life. And if you like to keep rules or if you like to break them, did you come from a family that had a lot of rules? So when you, when you grew up, you kind of don't ever want anybody to put a rule on you again. Or did you come from a system that had a ton of chaos? All the rules were, were out the window. Nobody kept a rule. You didn't even know what the rules were. And so maybe you're that person that wants a ton of structure. You always want to know the beginning and the end. You want to know why you're doing what you're doing. You want to make sure everybody else keeps all the rules. So what we want to look at and what we've been addressing is instead of thinking about either all these rules or having no rules, like as if no rules is complete freedom, which we addressed and understand that that's pandemonium, that's anarchy, that we want to understand why rules. What is the point of rules? Why would we need rules? Why would they be helpful? And so we use the metaphor that rules are like our skeletal structure. And if we didn't have a skeletal structure, it doesn't matter how strong our muscles would be, we wouldn't be able to do anything. We wouldn't be able to stand. We wouldn't be able to lift, to run, to build, to embrace people. If we didn't have a skeletal structure, we'd just be a blob. So rules help us actualize the strength that God has given within us and to do the purposes that he has destined for us. So we looked at examples of unhealthy relationship rules. We looked at characteristics of functional systems and how what that looks like in a healthy system and in a healthy relationship, the things that we wanted to see. And so now we're going to spend some time on why rules. Why do we have rules? What would be the point of this? And so let me tell you what, what, what a rule is. It's a statement spelling out the proper procedure or conduct for any activity. So, for example, read the rules before entering the pool, right? We know that here in Arizona we have a lot of problems, sadly, with children drowning. So we put gates, we put fences around our pools. We still have problems with children drowning. And so we know that there are rules around water and how important those rules are. Because rules and laws are intended to keep us safe. And many times, you know, we, we know that we don't use common sense. Now, what we want when we do rules in our relationships, we want those rules to have common sense. And, and let me give you another example living here in Arizona. So if you, if you live in Phoenix or any part of Arizona for the most part, you know that there is what we call the stupid motorist law. And this states that any motorist who becomes stranded after driving around barricades to enter a flooded stretch of roadway may be charged for the cost of his or her rescue. Now, see, this is because we don't, have, we don't have a good way of managing our water because we live in a desert, and so when we get monsoons, we get a deluge of water, and, we, things, get, and things flood. And we have people that don't want to stop. They want to get home. They want to get around, and so they will go around barricades or they will drive into a flooded street or wash. So what's happened over the years is that we have what's called now the stupid motorist law. So when we think about rules, we want to make sure that they make sense. 
We're not just going to establish a rule so that I can have control and power. I want the rule to actually make some sense. So think about when you're driving and you, you come across a part of town and they've changed the speed limit from 45 to 25 within 10 feet. And you don't even know why it's now 25. And how frustrating that may be. Even though you're going to obey the rule, it's like, why is this? What is the point of this? Or if you work in an organization and they have a specific way of doing things that absolutely make no sense, not only do they not make sense, but they bog down the system and they make things harder. So what we want to think about is what is the point of a rule? Well, rules govern a system. Rules cause there to be safety. Rules cause there to be efficiency. Rules help to create less chaos if they're done well. So words and concepts, I want you to, that, are, that are similar to rules, because I like to use words so you understand the heart of the word, would be commandments, edicts, directives, orders, orders followed that create orders, formulas, practices, guidelines. Think about this. This is, you know, think about the word law. So as we think about this, this word law, why did God establish law? What was the point of this? Because he gave Moses 10 commandments. So overall, the whole reason for laws that God sets laws are given in order to allow people to healthfully participate in life overall. So what I want you to think about is when when we're looking at laws and the point of a law or a guideline or rule, think about how laws and rules um, protect what is dear to us. So let's just imagine for a moment that you all own Lamborghinis. Wow, what would that be like? Drive around a Lamborghini. Well, if you purchased a Lamborghini, I would imagine that you're going to read the owner's manual. And you're going to find out how that car works so that you can make sure you don't damage that car. So there are rules for caring for that car. There are guidelines, there are edicts, there are directives. You know, we've said many times we've used this analogy. You don't four-wheel drive a Lamborghini. You know, you may have a good time, but at the end, what are you left with? A lot of damage. And it may be completely ruined so that it's not even usable. And if you do fix it, it may cost you so much money to try to fix it that it can be fixed, but it's never going to be the same. So we think about rules and directives in this way. So there's three reasons that God gave us the Ten Commandments. And this is taken from um, this, uh, a place called Pathway to Victory, and I like the, the way the writer um, wrote about the Ten Commandments. What he said is, first of all, the law was given for the well-being of God's people. The well-being of God's people. So he gave us the law for our good, for our betterment, not for his own benefit. See, the law is given to show us how to live life to the fullest. So what he's saying is if you break these laws, bad things will happen. It doesn't mean that if you break the law, I'm going to make a bad thing happen because I've decided that I want the law and I just want you to obey the law for my own sake. This is one of the laws he gave Adam and Eve, and we see what happened when they broke that law. It's the same thing when we tell children, here's the law, don't run out into the street. Because we know that if they run into the street, they may be killed. So God gave us the law for the well-being of his people. And secondly, the law was the foundation for the nation of Israel. So like our Constitution, the Ten Commandments formed a framework for living. So it served as a common law for a common people living in a common land. So we all have this in common. So we have certain relationship rules that we all have in common. 
that, that would be shared, that would work with any system that we're in, any culture that we're in, any religion that we're in. There are certain relationship rules that are just common to all people. And finally, the third thing, the law was given to remind people of their sinfulness. See, rules serve as a reference point, and, and I love reference points. And, and I say to people many times, where's the plumb line? Where's the reference point? So you can know how far off that reference point you are, how far off you are, where the orbit is around that reference point. And so we have three reasons that commandments, that laws, that rules or directives are given. And so they're given to us to have the fullness of life so that we are live safely, that we are able to live authentically and honestly, and that we are able to grow and flourish. They're given to us as a foundation for peace so that we know what's to be expected, so that we know where we stand. And lastly, they're given to us to remind us of how far off where we should be, how far off we are from where we should be. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue this idea of rules and rules in relationships and who needs them. Well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And before we get started, I want to remind you to visit me on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A.com. And like me on Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. And that's I-N-C for Incorporated. Also, uh, I am frequently a keynote speaker or I do lectures and seminars. And so if you are interested in having me do any of these topics that I do for any of your organizations or churches, you can, uh, there's a contact page on the website and I can also tailor, uh, to your organization or church, whatever it is that you are wanting as well. So today we are talking about this whole idea of relationship rules and who needs them. And my whole case for this is that we all need them and that rules are very important for our well-being, very important for structure very important as a way to live in peace and to have appropriate expectations so that we're not in survival, so that we can actually depend and anticipate what may be happening more often than just living in anarchy and pandemonium and never knowing what's coming at us. So we left that last segment talking about why God actually gave us the Ten Commandments. What would be the point of that? And there were three reasons. And the first one is that we would have the law or these commands or these directives or rules so that we could live life to the fullest, so we could live life safely. And so that we would understand that there are always rules that govern a system. And so there are rules that govern the way machinery is made and we want to use that machinery appropriately or it breaks down or we destroy it. There are rules for driving so that we all drive safely. We're all very thankful that the majority of us obey the driving laws. When we obey the driving laws, we have less accidents. And so there are rules for how we do relationships. And those are a little bit more abstract and a little bit more difficult to identify. And in the show previously, in last week, we identified what was unhealthy relationship rules. And many times these are unspoken. These are nonverbal, but they are felt. We know the rule. For example, don't feel, don't talk, don't trust. Or we feel the rule only allowed to have positive feelings. Or we feel the rule, 
of if we ignore it, it'll just go away. So we avoid conflict. Don't bring it up. Don't talk about it. So these are rules that create unhealthiness and dysfunction. So when we look at these rules, this is, these are for how to live our life to the fullest so that we are safe within our relationships, so that we create a relationship atmosphere, a relationship system that allows for us to be honest and authentic, to be creative, to be spontaneous, to be accepted and understood for who we are, and to have our uniqueness rejoiced in. So the second reason that God would create commandments or rules and teach us how to create our own rules for our own situations is for a foundation, that we have a foundation of what to be expected. So when I drive anywhere in the United States, I pretty much know what the laws are going to be. Now, they may change a little bit from state to state, but for the most part, there's a foundation of driving laws. If I go out of the country, I may have to work a little harder to learn what those driving laws are in other countries. So they create a foundation of commonality so that we have a particular expectation. This is why when you go into different family settings, as you're getting to know other people's families, you quickly begin to learn, oh, that's, that's a rule. I didn't know that. I had no idea that that was a rule, that we were not ever to say the word hell in this home. Oh, my gosh, I just said that word. Now I'm in trouble. I didn't know that was a law in this home. Or we always use coasters. I didn't know that. I don't use coasters in my home. So there are common rules, but then there are rules specific to the system. So it's imperative as we are understanding that rules are to be foundational. And if they are healthy, then they are going to be more common to other systems. And finally, the law was also given to remind people of how far off the line they were. So if I have relationship rules within my home, then I'm very, it helps me to understand how far off the rule I am. So let's say I'm having a stressful day. I come home, I start talking to my husband. He says something and I start to maybe get a little amplified. I start to escalate a little bit. I'm a little bit tweaked by what he said. And maybe it's because I've had a really stressful day and as we talked in the kinder, gentler relationship show, about maybe I'm hungry, maybe I'm anxious about something, maybe I'm feeling disconnected, maybe I'm just tired. So I'm not handling my interaction with him as well as I might. So I can start to feel the way I'm acting. I can start to hear the way my voice sounds. I can see, hear the words I'm choosing. I start to see the effect I'm having on him. It helps me to know, wow, I'm losing the program. I got to get back on the program. I'm breaking some of my own relational rules. I'm not being tolerant, I'm not being open, I'm being defensive, I'm being overly sensitive. So it helps me to know how far off the line I am. Where's the plumb line? Where's the reference point? So these three reasons for rules are very important. I mean, let's face it, we're not perfect, and God doesn't expect us to be. So the law, the rules are like a mirror that reminds us many times of where we want to be, where God wants us to be where God is helping us to, to be. So many times we think that we or people think that God gave us rules to control us. And actually, rules are to liberate us and to protect us from harm. So he's the creator. He knows the design. So we talked before about he understands the design of you. So when he gives rules for you, that what's important for the rules that govern your inner system, this is to liberate you not to bind you up. So we've talked before about the verse in 
Corinthians uh, chapter 10, I believe, and it says that, that everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. So God says, Cynthia, here's the design. Here's the way that I made you. And what may be constructive for somebody else is not constructive for you. And I'll give you an example. I don't think that cigarettes in and of themselves are immoral. I do know that nicotine is the most addictive substance of any anything, anything on the planet. And we have lots of research to show that. So what I do know is that there are some people that can smoke cigarettes occasionally. Once a year, twice a year, whatever. They pick one up. They enjoy a cigarette, a cigar, whatever that is. I know for me, I cannot do one ever, ever. I cannot ever do a cigarette. I smoked in college. I know that if I pick up a a cigarette, I will be smoking the same amount I did when I was in college. So I know for me, God says, I know your design, Cynthia. That's not constructive for you. That's a rule for you. That rule liberates you. Because if I start to smoke a cigarette, I'll be in bondage to that. So God says, this is not because you're a bad person. But this is something that you need to say no to because it liberates you. It causes you to have a lot more freedom in your life. Because if you start smoking, you're going to be in bondage. So what I want you to think about is God knows the design of you. So when he's telling you rules that that need to govern your system, if we ask him, he's also going to give us rules that govern the system of our external relationships. So my husband and I have particular rules for us that make our relationship work. When we break those rules, it hurts. And it creates dissension. It creates um, hurt. It, it, it creates damage, whatever that is. And so when we break that rule, we quickly fix that, that break. We apologize. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. We get back on the program. Now, the rules that my husband and I have may be different than other couples, and I'm sure they are, because they are unique to myself and my husband. But then we also have rules that are in general, that work in a common manner. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about relationship rules, the need for them, how to know what those rules are for you individually and for you in your external relationships. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt. I'm glad you joined me as we talk about relationship rules. And again, I want to encourage you to visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Like, like me on Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. That's I-N-C for Incorporated. And we are talking today about relationship rules. Why do we need rules in relationships and why are they helpful? And so in the last segment, we talked pretty extensively about why God would, why God would make commandments or rules. And the, what we left off on was the importance of understanding the design, that rules help support the design of anything that is created. So there are rules for how I deal with a particular piece of machinery. There are rules for how I deal with the microwave or the oven the dishwasher, the washing machine. And we know when we break those rules, it's really costly and a big disaster. There are rules when it comes to cars. There are rules when it comes to different animals. So the rules that apply to my cat may be different than apply to my dog, even though there's also some common rules for house pets. But they're different. And so the unique design needs to be taken into consideration. 
So rules are intended to support the design so that we have the fullness of life. We have liberty. So rules are intended to liberate us, not put us in bondage. And if you missed any of the previous show last week, you might want to listen to that. You can find that on my website in the podcast. Because we talked about what happens when rules are done inappropriately and when they are done for selfish gain. So we know that rules are done to liberate us, to help us live life to the fullest. They are to create a foundation so that we can live at peace and we can anticipate and and not have to be on guard wondering what's happening from one moment to the next. And they are also as a way of reference point to show us how far off we are from keeping the program that works. So as we look at this, we want to always remember this reference verse that we talked about, and that is when Jesus said the greatest law is that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important and the first on any list. And there's a second that goes alongside it, and that is love others as well as you love yourself. So when we are looking at creating relationship rules for any relationship we are in, we are always doing it from the place of love. We are always making sure that we are also doing that with ourselves so that we are not hypocritical, that we are not loving somebody else but refusing to love ourselves, that we are really working on managing and loving and, and supporting our relationship with God because when we're good with God and we're good with ourselves, we manage other people's imperfections much better. We also manage our own imperfections better. We have more grace and more mercy. So let's look at some rules. We're going to take the next about 15 minutes and really talk about some very specific rules that you might want to adopt and make your own. Now, most of these rules I found to work exceedingly well in all relationships. And all these rules work exceedingly well in intimate and romantic relationships. So as you listen, you can write them down. But if you're driving, you can't. So you might want to just listen and maybe go listen to the podcast when you can. And you want to think about what would work for your relationship with others, with God, with yourself. Because we did take a little bit of time about understanding that you may need to address some of your own rules individually. What rules are you putting on yourself? And are there some rules that you need to put on or adopt? And are there some rules that you've put on yourself that you need to let go of that are not healthy, that are putting you in bondage? So remember, this is just a template for you to use as, as a design structure. And it's a it's a a way to have a safe place to live within your relationships. So firstly, the first one is you always be polite. This is an imperative, very appropriate rule for any relationship that you have. I don't care who it is. You always be polite. You treat that person as well as you would meet someone that you just met. So when I'm interacting with my husband, I am polite with him. If I am not polite, I apologize. And what you will find in relationships is the more polite you are, the more peace you have, the more resiliency you have, the more flexibility, and the more people calm down. And when people are more calmed down, they are less defensive, less sensitive. So I'm always polite. I assume the best. That's the second one. If I, I, I assume that this person, if they could be doing better, they would be. Why wouldn't they be doing better? Why would they purposefully be doing things that are, that are stressing them out? And so it's really important that you think about this whole idea of assuming the best and always being polite. And these two work for any, any relationship. And so you want to think about that pain is a great motivator. So if they could be doing better, they would be. 
regardless of the pain they appear to be inflicting on you, the way that they are acting is probably alleviating pain for them in some form. So these first two are the most important. Be polite and assume the best. They're not the enemy. So join me in the last segment while we talk about the rest of these relationship rules, why we need them, why they help, why they're imperative for the design of our relationship. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. And this is Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad that you joined me today. I'm always glad when you do. And always want to encourage you to check out my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And like me on Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. That's I-N-C for Incorporated. Also, I am a, a keynote speaker, and I do many lectures and seminars. And if you would like to use me for any of your organizations or churches or women's retreats, uh, marriage retreats, please contact me at my website and there is a contact page and I would love to do that for you. So let's wrap this up. This last part of this is actually the relationship rules that we are going to talk about you implementing. And this is more um, just a template for you. It doesn't mean that you have to apply all of them that you have to apply them exactly the way that I'm telling them to you. It's really more of a reference point for you to realize that if you implement these into your relationship, many of these, it will really help the consistency, the overall healthiness, and your overall enjoyment of the relationship. So the first two that we talked about that are truly imperative, when I am working with couples, organizations, churches, anyone, I am saying to them, you be polite, be polite. Be decent, be reasonable, get a handle on your emotions, be a grown-up, be an adult. So we be polite. So we treat people as if we just met them. We treat people like we would treat a guest in our own home. And it doesn't mean that we're being weird about it. It means that we are just simply being polite. And we are treating somebody with dignity. That's That's what being polite does, is it's respectful. So the second one is I assume the best about the person. And I say to myself, you know, if they could be doing better, they would be. I'm assuming that they're doing the best they possibly can. Because you have to understand pain is a great motivator. And if they could be doing better, they probably would be. Now, this is not ever license to just indulge in how you feel because you're in pain. But what we're doing is we're offering grace and mercy. And we're saying to ourselves, you know what? They probably are managing their pain. And if if managing their pain is inflicting on me, I'm going to try to assume the best. It doesn't mean I'm not going to set appropriate boundaries. And it doesn't mean that if it's a habitual thing or a chronic condition that I'm not going to address it. I'm certainly not going to avoid conflict like we talked about earlier in the show that that's an unhealthy relationship rule is to avoid conflict. So the third one is we're going to check it out before taking it personally. So when I assume the best about somebody, I'm going to say to myself, you know, I don't think that's typically what they're like, so something must be going on. So before I take this personally and think it's about me, that they're mad at me or they don't like me or they're frustrated with me or whatever it is, I'm just going to ask them. I'm going to say, hey, you know, just want to make sure that you and I are okay, that, you know, the way you responded to me or reacted to me was kind of, you know, larger than what I think maybe was, would be typical. So I just want to make sure, is everything okay? I don't want to take it personally if you're just having a bad day. All right. The fourth one. And this is very important with couples, 
and I say this to couples many, many times when I'm working with marriages, uh, premarital, with people that are starting establishing relationships, and I say to them, this person is not the enemy. So no matter how bad the conflict becomes, you have to say to yourself, I can't let this person become the enemy. I can't look at them as the enemy. Because once you do, you further alienate yourself from the person. You, you give yourself more license to act inappropriately. You create more wreckage and damage. And it, takes, it makes it harder to reconcile. So what I say to people is that, you know, sometimes they look at me like, yes, they are. And then I say to them, you know, if this person is really the enemy, then why am I helping you be with them? Why would I do that? If they are truly an enemy, why are you living with them? Why are you being with them? So they can act like the enemy. They certainly can. And that can be really scary for us. But we want to really keep in check that feeling, that thought, and say, wait a minute. They're having a hard time. They're probably just as scared as I am. They're just as hurt as I am. They're spinning out just like I am. It doesn't make them the enemy. Number five, I always want to remind myself and other people that feelings are very real, but they are not always true. Again, feelings are very real. I honor my feelings. They are real physical sensations that are occurring. They are real. Doesn't mean that they're true. And I use this example frequently when I say, you know, let's look at anorexics, people that struggle with anorexia. They have a feeling that they are fat. They feel it so real that they think it's true and they starve themselves to death. So I can feel like you don't like me. I can feel like you're rejecting me. I can feel like you are mad at me. I can feel like you hate me. But I need to check it out and make sure that's true. Because that feeling may be coming from my own fatigue, my own anxiety. Maybe I had a bad day. Maybe I'm more sensitive. So I'm interpreting things. And so if I believe every feeling I have, I'm going to be a wreck. I need to make sure that the feelings I'm having are actually true. So somebody may be having a negative feeling about me or the situation, but it doesn't even mean that I did anything wrong. Sometimes if I set boundaries with people, they they get uncomfortable. They get upset. They don't like it. They get their feelings hurt. It doesn't mean I did anything wrong or bad. So I need to be able to manage people having negative feelings, not personalizing them, not becoming overly sensitive or defensive about them, but being able to accept their feeling, even if it's negative. So then number six, I ask myself, am I helping this situation? Is my behavior, my responses, my word choice, my facial expressions, my vocal inflection, am I helping this situation or am I making it worse? Am I supporting the relationship? Am I helping the relationship to be built up or am I tearing it down? Am I giving into my lower self or am I acting out of my higher self? Am I finding the adult part of me or am I acting out of the childlike part of me? So number seven, if you have a partner, a friend, a child, co- co-worker, whatever it is, and they have a need, just give it to them. If you have it, give it over and over and over again. This is imperative when we are loving people. God lavishly gives us what we need over and over. He tells us how much he loves us over and over. His kindness, he's, he showers on us over and over. His mercies are new every day. He knows how much we need mercy, grace, forgiveness, patience, kindness, support, love. He knows how much we need these things. So he just gives it freely over and over and over again. And the hard thing for us as humans 
is when we give people what they need, many times it causes us to be vulnerable. So if I look at somebody and I know they need to be built up, maybe I feel too vulnerable to do it. Maybe I don't want to build them up. Maybe they need to, to hear that they look nice. And I don't want to, like, quote, unquote, feed their ego. My goodness, we all need to hear that, don't we? We live in a very harsh world. The more positives we can get, the better we're going to manage our relationships. So it's imperative that if you have what they need, give it to them. Why would you withhold that? So number eight, we're going to practice objectivity. So if my partner, friend, children, whatever, is getting on my nerves, I probably need to detach a little bit. So I need, again, to look at them as if I just met them, right? Okay, that's interesting. That's, that's an interesting response. That's interesting behavior. So that I can detach a little bit and not get sucked into taking things personally. So I'm going to practice some objectivity. Okay, I don't know what's going on with them. That was a weird response. But before I spin out on it and make it a bigger issue, I'm going to relax. and I'm going to say to myself, in the course of eternity, how much does this really matter? So I'm not going to major in the majors. I'm going to major... I mean, I'm not going to major in the minors. Sorry, I'm going to major in the majors. So this is a minor. I'm not going to make this minor a major. So number nine, love is unconditional. Intimacy is earned. This is very important to understand when it comes to relationship rules. That my behaviors and attitudes and emotional expression directly affect how close I can be to that person. So what we think about with God is when I sin against God, He doesn't stop loving me. He always loves me. But my intimacy is broken with God when I sin against him. So I need to understand that when I am interacting with people, especially the ones closest to me, if I'm indulging in immature behaviors, if I'm not managing my emotional world, if I'm not managing how I am interacting with them and being in an adult position when I interact with them, I damage intimacy. It doesn't mean that they may stop loving me. But it may mean that they don't like me and they don't want to be around me and I'm too painful to be around. So it's really important in relationships that you understand. Intimacy is earned. Trust is fragile. And we have to continue to protect it and heal it and repair it when we have damaged it. Number 10, relationships are like plants. They need tending. So what are the unique things that make my relationship grow? For example, I want you to think about a hothouse orchid or rainforest flower versus a cactus. So men are notorious, and I'm going to single you men out for today because I use this oftentimes in, in uh, my practice when I'm talking to couples. They're notorious for, like, think of this as an analogy, watering a plant when it's wilted. And so I say to men, you know, you use the, the, the drop system, you know. It's like you use the watering, the constant dripping system, you know, that that constantly is giving a little bit of water every day to the woman in your life. Because if you wait till she's wilted and you'd like deluge her with water, she's drowned. And then it doesn't heal whatever it was. So you don't want to wait till the person is wilted to give them what they need. Now, this applies to any relationship. So think about this as well. This is number 11. This is important that the nature of women and men are very different like breeds of animals. So one of the rules in relationships is if you treat a woman like a man, she'll probably start acting like one. And if you try to make your husband or boyfriend be your girlfriend, he will be first very confused, then very frustrated. He'll then feel respected, impotent, and very unsuccessful. Not a good combination for a man. So you want to treat a woman the way you want her to act. If you want her to stay feminine and like a woman, then treat her like one. 
And women, don't treat your husband or your boyfriend like a girlfriend. They can't be. They will feel very unsuccessful. And they will be very distressed. So you work on how do I have a friendship with a man? It is different than a friendship with a woman. So number 12, do what your partner likes. However, don't force them to like it if they're doing it with you. So if my husband liked baseball, I would go to a baseball game with him. It doesn't mean I'm going to ever be a big fan of baseball. But I'm going to enjoy the game because I am enjoy being with him, and I'm going to enjoy the fact that he enjoys it. And so I can do that as an adult. I don't have to like everything to enjoy the event. A little child pouts at an event that they don't like, and then they steal it from everyone else. So the next one is, know the difference between dysfunction, gender, and temperament. These are very different. Because many times when we look at gender or temperament, and temperament is like extroversion and introversion, we have a tendency, if, to, if we don't understand gender and temperament, to think they're being dysfunctional. So how about this? Be very careful of your own internal dialogue. Like, what are you telling yourself about your partner? How are you narrating their life? What is the commentary you're saying about them? In other words, what story are you telling yourself? The next one, if you enjoy being loved and liked, then be lovable, be likable. Don't make it difficult. Who as adults wants to work that hard? Our lives are hard enough. We work that hard for abused animals and little children. So you want to be lovable and likable. That's part of our job. And this is another very important one. When I say to men and women, I say, don't listen to what men say, look at what they do. So they may not be great wordsmiths. Maybe they don't know how to tell you all these romantic things. But if they're doing a lot of things for you, that's the indicator of their love. And I say to men, don't, don't look at what women do. Listen to what they say, because what they say is what they mean. So if they say, I can't take it anymore, they really mean it, even if they are participating in every part of the relationship. You might find out the next day that they've moved out. So you listen to what they say, not what they do. And then if you can't find, you know, what you want to remember, realize is you can't find your soulmate if you don't know your own soul. So these things are imperative as you look at creating the relationship that you want. These are relationship rules, and then I want you to make up the ones that work for your design and to make sure that your intent is not of legalism or control. Again, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Have a great week, and I will talk to you next we week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.